on the Virtual Bible Stage tonight. We want to talk about a controversial subject I think in a this, different way. I think this won't be really controversial among those who will be listening and studying but with us tonight. But it is controversial in the world In today. the world. We're going to talk about Noah, the flood, the ark that Noah built. Skeptics make some claims. You know, that it's just the whole story is just impossible, they argue. And so they, they throw out several challenges. We're going to deal with their challenges tonight and show that the, the story of Noah and the ark and the flood is really very reasonably and reasonable and believable. And when you th- if you throw that out, you better be careful about the other things that get thrown out. With exactly it. right. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study is starting right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday october 10th 2019 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob welcome back Glad welcome back to, to the back. virtual bible study you gave me two weeks off yeah, and I'm, I'm afraid not gonna we're going to have to re- retrain you well, to, on, on your job there. Yeah, I'll try not to ask for any more time off for a while. Kyle's here tonight. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. And you held the fort down while I was gone on yeah. the technical side of things. Thank you for keeping that going. Um, and thank you for being on the other side of the line tonight. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Um, it hasn't changed. You know, I did listen to you guys while I was gone. and Well, I don't want to be rude, but it hasn't changed. The program's better when people call in. It is. It always is better. Yeah, it is. So call in tonight, uh, 877-381-4567. It's also better if we get to read our listeners' comments in the chat room or over email. Yeah. Uh, So send those into questions at collegeu.com or sign in the chat room. Uh, So we're uh, glad to be with you tonight. And uh, before we get any farther, though, we've got to make sure that anybody who has the ability to travel is making some plans to travel. Yeah, we want, if you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we want you to come join us next week. Now, it starts Sunday, this Sunday, October the 13th, runs through the following Friday night, Friday night the 18th. We're going to have a gospel meeting here at the College View Church of Christ. We're going to have different speakers each day. Uh, let me see if I can remember from memory the speakers. Sunday, Ben May from Lawrenceburg, Tennessee, will be here to speak to us two times on Sunday morning. And then our afternoon service will be at 2.30. Mm-hmm. Monday night, Donnie Rader from Shelbyville, Tennessee. Tuesday night, uh, who do I, I want to say? Uh, I guess I could go to okay, the website. Okay, well, now, so here's a good teaser for the website. It's at collegeview.com. Who? Uh, Keith Hamilton? Keith Hamilton. Keith Hamilton. That's it's, right. on Keith the, Hamilton. it's on the main page of collegeview.com. From Swanee, Tennessee, Keith Hamilton. Wednesday night, Jeff Smith from Athens, yep. Alabama. Thursday night, Rodney Hampton from Athens, Alabama. Yep. And Friday night is not going to be preaching. Friday night is going to be congregational singing. And it'll be led again this year by our good friend Jim Deason, who comes all the way from Coleman, Alabama, to lead us in singing. He does a great job with that, and, and you'll really appreciate that if you come. But come to hear the preaching of the gospel. Come Friday night to join in the singing. Join us if you're anywhere close to Columbia, Tennessee. And again, the information is on our uh, the front page of our collegeview.com website. So go there and get all the information. All right. We look forward to seeing you, meeting you there, if you can at all come. You would be benefited. Interestingly, um, Jay, some of, by the way, some of our listeners will remember two of those guys engaged in a little mini-debate on the Virtual Bible Study a few months back. Keith Hamilton and Rodney Hampton were the two who engaged in a discussion about can a Christian engage in self-defense. Yeah. And so you'll remember those speakers, and, and they did a good job on that, and I think they'll do a good job bringing now, Rodney, Rodney will be here Thursday. Did you talk to him about joining us? I have not. I'm, going to, I'm probably going to dr- uh, surprise him with that. You're going to jump him with it. Yeah, I'm going to just sort of drop that on him at the last minute. Wow. That next Thursday night Surprise. after the virtual, after the, the, the meeting, which begins at 7, then immediately after the, the meeting, we'll come in here and have the virtual Bible study. And what we'll, what we'll do is discuss the things that Rodney talked about in his sermon. You're going to do them like that? I'll probably tell him. You should tell him. Yeah. 
I mean, that would be sort of, that'd be sort of <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um, you know, I don't know. We probably shouldn't talk about it. But Kyle, are you going to be streaming it? Uh, well, uh, well, yeah, it will be streamed. I should be. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, but don't streamed. stay away. If don't you can stay. come, you'll yeah. do better to okay. come than right. to watch on the okay. Internet. All right. All right. On to the topic tonight. All right. So uh, when we talk about Noah and we talk about the flood, the ark that Noah built, uh, unfortunately, of course, that's one of the earliest stories in the Bible. But unfortunately, it's sometimes relegated to children's stories. And yet there are tremendous moral lessons in the in the incident with Noah and the flood. And I think a lot of powerful evidence for our faith is found in the story of Noah and the flood. But there are some questions about it, and skeptics love to jump on it. They, the skeptics say that is nothing more than just a preposterous myth that was invented in men's minds. It's been handed down through generations just as sort of a, a, a fairy tale, uh, a Paul Bunyan kind of exaggerated story. It's not real. It's not true. It didn't happen. That's what the skeptics say. And in order to sort of prove that they are right, they would say there's some impossibilities, uh, for instance. And these are the questions that we sent out to our update list earlier today. And we want you to get on our update list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. First of all, would a vessel like the ark that's described in the Bible even float? Would it be seaworthy? Could it have, could it have carried a load and done what it was supposed to do? Number two, how could the ark possibly hold all of those animals? Number three, how could Noah build such an enormous vessel? Number four, how could Noah collect all the animals and care for them in the ark? Number five, where did all the floodwaters come from, enough to cover the whole earth? And then, think about that. If the whole earth was covered with water, where did the water go? There wouldn't be any high ground or low ground, it would have all been covered. Mm-hmm. So if all the earth was covered with water, where did it go? Puzzling. So we want to deal with those questions all tonight. Right. Uh, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, and in the chat room tonight. Okay, number one. All right, so let's start out with a really simple question. What about could you build a, could, could a vessel like what is described in the ark, could it even float, would it be seaworthy? All right, so... Us, we're going to be looking a lot at the text in Genesis and the and sort of the spe, the specs, at least the specs we have that were recorded for us as to how the ark was to be built, found in Genesis 6. Probably not everything that Noah was told about. Verse 50, I don't think we have a full blueprint here. We don't need it. But here's what we do know. He says in Genesis 6, verse 14, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. All right, so especially concentrate on the dimensions that are offered there. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Now, we understand, and all experts would tell us, that a cubit was roughly... The, the distance from a man's elbow, the tip of his fingers. Now, any any man's going to have a different length there, obviously, but a good average is about 18 inches. Uh, I understand by some who've gone up to northern Kentucky and viewed the new ARC exhibit up there that they explained, and I'm not sure their reasoning, that they actually used a cubit that was a little over 20 inches, maybe 20, close to 22 inches. I don't know why. I don't know what the reason. Makes the arc that they're displaying bigger, maybe. <laughs> maybe bigger. I don't But I think 18 inches is a, is a good approximation. We don't have to be exact. But uh, so 18 inches, a foot and a half. Makes your math easier. Yeah, 300 cubits is 450 feet long. Right. 450 feet. Now, just to try to grasp that dimension, that's a football field and a half long. It's enormous. It's huge. Now, uh, the width of it was uh, 50 cubits, which would be 75 feet wide, and the height of it would be 30 cubits, which is 45 feet high. So 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. Interestingly, that is the largest vessel ever made in the history of the world until sometime within this last century, sometime in the 1900s, 
mid-1900s, mid to late 1900s, they started making these super tankers that go across the oceans carrying oil. They are bigger than Noah's Ark was. But it's only been within the last hundred years that they even tried to make a vessel mm. as big as Noah's Ark. Now, think about, think about all the modern technology and equipment that would be available to us today to make this. Noah didn't have any of that. So we're going to talk about could he, could he possibly have constructed it in a minute. But it is no, he a, couldn't have done it in a minute. In a minute, we'll talk about okay, whether he could. Right. Uh, but uh, a huge vessel. But here's the here's the interesting thing. That that dimensional ratio, four fifty seventy five forty five. That's been tested. And now again, not every vessel would have to be built that big. But if it was built on that same proportional ratio, yeah. mm-hmm. that's been tested and proved to be really very stable. In fact, tests suggest that 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 kind of vessel could withstand a wave that would tip it almost ninety degrees on its side. And it would ride itself mm. from a from a, and you got and we're going to talk a little bit. There probably were some significant tsunamis floating around the earth in the time of the flood. We'll talk about that. And so this thing needed to be very stable. That proves to be a very stable re, uh, ratio of dimensions uh, on the ark. We talked about the super tankers. The super tankers of today are built on that proportional ratio. Mm. And so, uh, again, that, that, now how would Noah know anything about that? How would Noah know to build it to that ratio? The very fact that that ratio is specified and has been subsequently proven to be the ratio you want for a stable craft, uh, that's, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of evidence there. Noah wouldn't have known that on his own. That had to have been revealed. All right. Um, yeah, amazing. Uh, I, they... Yeah, obviously, uh, there wouldn't he he didn't have like a, a shipyard to go to yeah. to get help with that and to figure out that that's the size we needed. Not only did it have to have the those dimensions to be seaworthy, there we'll talk about later about the job it had to do. Yeah, uh, it needed to be built in the, in that fashion to be big enough to handle the load. But you know, how do you picture the ark in your mind's eye? I, even in the picture that I put on our Facebook post about tonight's program, I, I use sort of the traditional kids picture of of an ark with animals uh, out sunning uh, on the deck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's probably not even close to what the ark looked like. You know, all of the ark, even the even the new ark exhibit they've got up in Kentucky, it's got a pointed bow. You know, and and it looks like a boat. It looks like it's going somewhere. This thing didn't have to go anywhere. It just had to float. It didn't need to go forward or backward. It need, oh. didn't need to prove. So it so, could have been like a like a barge. I uh, think if you had a picture, this looked like a big, flat, square barge. Yeah. All it had to do was float, and it did that very, very well, according to all estimations. Okay. So first question is, would it float? Would it even be seaworthy? Yeah, absolutely yes. In fact, it's interesting that... Subsequent science, even even science within just recent generations, have proven that's the ratio of a ship you want. Daniel said, we know the ark was made of gopher wood and that it was covered inside and out with pitch, three decks, one door, one window, 300 cubits long, 50 wide, 30 tall, uh, 120 years to be built. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, many details not given, but even so, some uh, who do not believe the story say in theory it, would, it could have worked. I'm no expert. I trust it worked just like the Bible says it did in Genesis 7 18. I think that's a good point, Daniel. Even those who don't believe the story say, well, yeah, we agree. That's a good dimension if you're building a boat. Uh, Kent says, yes, such is the case because of the nature of its construction. Conservative estimates argue that the biblical cubit was between 17 and a half and 18 inches. Calculating the measurement of a cubit being 17 and a half inches, the ark would have been 438 feet long, 72.9 wide, and 43.8 high. It can be demonstrated hydrodynamically that because of how the ark was constructed and the nature of the elements of the construction, that such a gigantic box of such dimensions would be very stable and virtually impossible to capsize. Even in a sea of tremendous waves, the ark could be tilted uh, through any angle up to short of 90 degrees and would immediately correct itself. Also, it would tend to align itself parallel with the direction of a major wave advance and would therefore be subject to a minimum of pitching. Okay, very. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. I had not read about that. That's interesting. 
Um, okay. Um, and then Chris uh, is going to talk later about uh, the next question, I think. So. Yeah, but he does mention that he read a, Smith, a, a Smithsonian article in April of 2014. I'm not familiar with this article. And he's going to mention uh, some other things about it, but he says that article says that it would float. Yeah. That would be. And a, I'm sure the Smithsonian wasn't on an. It didn't have an agenda to prove. They weren't the writing it from a religious perspective. I'm sure. All right, let's take a break. When we get back, so we got a boat that'll float, but could it? Is it big enough to do it what it's supposed enough? to supposedly did? All right, we'll take a break and get your thoughts. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. What does your church have for my children? At the College View Church of Christ, we don't have pizza parties or putt-putt nights. We don't have softball or basketball. We do have the Bible. We do have the powerful sayings of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We do have the love for your children's souls to never substitute the solid spiritual teaching they need with superficial secular activities. If this is what you want for your children, bring them to Bible class this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. at the College View Church of Christ. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Hell will be a truth that many will realize too late. Satan will use 99% truth, if necessary, to float one lie. It is a sad religion that is never strong except when its owner is sick. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. All right, we're back tonight, and we're talking about Noah's Ark. And, uh, well, lots of skeptics, lots of people want to throw rocks at the Bible story. And not just the Noah's Ark, it's anything that... that, that, that they, they're going to attack any, any place they think they've got a little chink in the armor. And so this, they, to them, looks like... Oh. This looks like a fairy tale. Yeah, this looks a like a myth. Right here. This is a myth. Maybe it is, Jacob. You think it is? You think it could have been just a sort of an exaggerated fairy tale that is not actually true? We might deal with that here before yeah. we go any further. Yeah. You know, if you take that view, as you suggested earlier, you're opening yourself up to some bad consequence. If you are a Bible believer, but you say, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say... But I don't really think the flood story is true. Then you got a big problem because Jesus attested to the legitimacy of the story of Noah in Matthew chapter 24 when he was foretelling the fall of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, and actually, I think he was also talking about the coming of final judgment. He said in verse 38, Matthew 24, verse 38, For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and knew not, or excuse me, uh, giving until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, he said, Jesus gave credit, acknowledgement to the story of Noah. So, you know, one of the uh, for us who are believers in Jesus, we get. Why do you believe in Noah and the flood? I believe in it because Jesus said it was so. Jesus rose from the dead, and I, we've got all the evidence that proves that Jesus was the only begotten, resurrected Son of God. So all the evidence that proves Jesus is evidence that proves that the story of Noah was true. That's right. All right. Uh, so the boat floats. Uh, science tells us that. Scientists who don't have any agenda, don't want to prove the Bible is true, say, well, that boat would float. Now, will that boat hold the animals? So it doesn't do any good if it doesn't hold the animals. That's part of the deal. If it, uh, if it was too small, then God, it is. Maybe it is a fairy tale because it couldn't hold them to begin with. All right. Let's read Genesis 7. In Genesis 7, verse 21. Uh, well, let's back up. Uh in the, uh, so in uh, where we're we going to start, verse eleven says, "In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. In the selfsame day they entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind." And all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl 
after his kind, every bird of every sort. So uh, the, the, the word kind there is an interesting word. <clears throat> How many animals did Noah have to take? Well, taxonomists tell us that there are perhaps 50,000 species of animals that would need protection from the flood. Uh, because, so, I mean, the, the animals in the sea obviously didn't get on the ark, didn't need to be on the ark. Their, their, their the, home the, just the, got a little bigger. They, they got more area. Yeah. Uh, so if there's 50,000 species, that's 100,000 animals. That's the crowd. But... We're told that that word kind likely defines families of animals uh, and that that it would have been possible to save two of every kind without saving two of every potential subspecies within the kind. So that may limit the numbers. But take the number. Take the number 100,000. All right. So if there's 50,000 50, species of animals that need protection, two of every kind means there are going to be at least 100,000 animals on the ark. That's if we didn't reduce it, it. We could reduce it, but let's say we don't. Don't reduce it. Let's okay. say we don't. you got everything. So how big are those animals going to be? What's the average size of an animal? Oh, the size of a semi-truck probably, right? Well, I mean, there's some big animals. Yeah. I mean, there's elephants. Yeah. And there's giraffes and rhinoceroses and hippopotamuses, uh, and uh, and there's dinosaurs. I mm-hmm. think the dinosaurs. Yeah. I think the dinosaurs were on the ark. Yeah. Now some of those can be pretty big, but there's also a lot of really little animals. Yeah, little there's frogs. Frogs, mice. Oh please, squirrels. Well, a boat. I guess it has to have rats. Probably Squir- rats, uh, uh, rabbits. Uh, there's a lot of little animals too. A lot, a lot, a lot of little animals. Yeah. And the birds are not very big at all. No. Uh, so, make. And by the way, you don't have to take a full-grown elephant. That's true. You could take a male and female of baby elephants or immature elephants, mm-hmm. immature hippopotamuses, immature dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I mean, that's still going to preserve the. the that gets the, the job kind. done. That gets the job done. Okay, but just, just, just for sake of argument, assume an average size. Kind of be kind of liberal and say that the average size of the animal would have been the size of a, a sheep. That's pretty conservative. That's, I think that's. I think because you got a lot, a little bit. I mean, you think. All uh, yeah, I think you're being generous to 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 say it's that large. But I mean, how, say, how often are you out when the woods looking at walking along? You see an animal any bigger than a sheep? Very rare. Very rare. Okay, okay. but let's say. Okay, so let's but let's pick okay. that size. Now, do, I'm not going to do the math on air. I'd probably mess it up, but I have done this before, and others have. The ark's volumetric capacity was 1,518,750 cubic feet. So a little over one and a half million cubic feet in the ark. That's calculatable. That's not... That's not. Okay, I'll take your word on it. Now, a standard railroad stock car... So picture on the railroad track, mm-hmm. uh, a stock car on the railroad track... That that standard railroad stock car has 2,670 cubic feet. Okay. Divide that out to me. So the ARC had the capacity of 569 railroad stock cars. That's a long train. That is a very that, long that train. That is a long train. A long train. How many miles along is that train? I don't know, but that's a How lot of... miles uh, long? Okay. All right. Keep, keep going with me. So you got the ARC is the size... All of that said to say this, the ARC had the capacity of... 569 railroad cars. You could put 240 sheep in one railroad car. That means it would have required 418 such cars to carry the 100,000 animals that we estimated earlier. That mean, that would mean about 73% of the capacity of the ark, given all the assumptions that we just made, 73% of the capacity of the ark would have been required for the animals, leaving 27% of the ark capacity for food and other necessities. Did you follow that? That sounds reasonable. And so what we're and that's saying, if they took everything, all right? Yeah, if, uh, yeah. And I don't think they would have necessarily had to take that many, but if they took that many, yeah, it fits. 
It fits. That's an enormous vessel. It will hold lots of animals. And you don't, you didn't have to get any, even creative about taking the babies or uh-huh. or not taking all of the every kind. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So okay. Wow. So right. the answer to that question, I think, is could the ark possibly hold all those animals? I believe yes. And Chris in the UK said when he read that Smithsonian article, not only did the article say that it would float. But it would hold the animals, he said, and they were from a skeptical viewpoint. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, even even those at the Smithsonian who are skeptical about the story being real said, well, at least that much of it is is doable. Unbelievable. All right. 877-381-4567. Daniel says, uh, again, I'm no expert. Uh, I trust they tr- tr- they all fit. Uh, one thing I read, uh, Red said the ark could have fit. 2.15 million sheep. I know that the flood account is backed by God's inspired men. First Peter 3.20. So Peter gives uh, account to that. And then also Isaiah 54, verse 9. That, yeah. that is what uh, means the most to me. So, yes. So Daniel says, hey, you do whatever math you want to do. God said it. He's going to trust it. Yeah. Now, uh, Kent goes through that almost that same kind of mathematical analysis, but he uses a little bit different numbers. He comes to the same conclusion, but let's just read what he said. He said, consider the measurements. The total volumetric capacity of the ark was approximately 1,400,000 cubic feet. He used a smaller cubit, you remember, which equals the volumetric capacity of 522 standard livestock cars, such as is used in a modern railroad transportation. Also consider that in the days of the flood, God did not preserve a plurality of species or breeds of a particular kind. For instance, to illustrate that, today when we talk about cattle, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of different subspecies of cattle. There's Angus cattle. There's Holstein cattle. There's Hereford cattle. There's Santa Gratutis cattle. There's I mean, Is that what kind? Santa Gratutis. But uh, and somebody <laughs> may correct me on my pronunciation of that. Well, wow. uh, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of different. You wouldn't have to say all those subspecies because those, most of those have all been bred. selectively yeah. bred. Yeah. In our in our right. lifetimes, yeah, like dogs. You don't yeah. have to have yeah. poodles, cocker spaniels. Right. Right. Yeah. You know one of those little uh, yapping he, dogs uh, in the boat the whole time you're riding it. He, he said, Kent says he he preserved the animal species itself. Authorities on biology estimate that there are around eighteen thousand species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians living in the world today. It may be that this number might have been increased to allow for now extinct animals, math, mathematically allowing for two of each species of each kind of animal. There may have been a total of between 22,000 to 75,000 animals on board the ark, factoring both clean and unclean animals. Also factor in that experts in biology argue that land animals were smaller in size uh, than what they presently are. Mm. And his conclusion is, again, some of the very similar math that we talked about, his conclusion is, yes, it could hold. I, I used his 522 cars. How many cars did you say it was? 500? I said 569. I looked it up. Seventy-five feet is the average length of a car. That's that's a train seven and a half miles long. That just speaks to the volume of that. Can you thing. imagine the circus coming to town with a train car seven and a half miles long of animals? Oh, wow! We're crying out loud. That's huge. Yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't. You and I guess it's sort of lost on you the the volume when you hear those numbers. Yeah. Four hundred and fifty feet long, seventy-five Se- feet wide. What ninety feet? Four, forty-five feet tall. Forty-five. Three you, three stories. You sort of, you lose. You lose perspective there about the volume. I mean, that's huge. You, but you can envision a train car. A tra- you imagine getting behind that on when you're coming to work, Kyle. You're going to be late if, you, if that thing's going uh, in front of you. Seven yeah. and a half miles long. You know, the, the, I've, I've not been. I don't think you've been, Kyle. I don't think any of us here have been to that new ARC exhibit up uh, just south of Cincinnati in northern Kentucky. Uh, but everybody I've talked to who's been there says it's really amazing. And the thing that strikes you, there's lots to talk about after you've been to that. But the thing that everybody talks about is just being overwhelmed by the size of the thing. Jared in the chat room uh, says, I read somewhere that sometimes for big projects like the Ark, that people in ancient times use a longer span, a cubit, like a maybe a cubit plus a span. Is there any validity to this? I don't know. I just don't know. And I don't know that we could deduce that positively. However, as we were saying, those uh, uh, Monty, who's often on the program with us, he's been up there recently, and he said they, I think he told me that they used for their measurement of a cubit, a little something, a little over 22 inches. So I don't know. I, I've not done any research on the cubit, and I'm not sure that there's any definitive answer to that. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Uh, it's time for a break in this week's bullet point. So you got a boat that will float. And hold all the animals. All right. But that's all in theory. That's on paper. Yeah. Now, could, could a man like Noah in his time have built that thing? That's our next question. Yeah, we're going to get to that after this week's bullet points. Stay tuned. We're back after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our society has made a tradition of honoring heroes of one sort or another. The idea is that some folks deserve special attention and praise. It is understood that these individuals will become models for the rest of us to imitate. By their acts of courage and selflessness, or by the display of other admirable traits, they have become sources of encouragement for all others. Unfortunately, the assignment of hero status has taken a wrong turn in recent times. These days, the popular heroes are sports figures and popular music stars. A very casual examination of their personal lives show many of them to be indecent, immoral, and downright disgusting. There is nothing in them to be honored or admired. Their example is one of total lack of self-control or discipline. They are not legitimate heroes. Their influence is for the bad, not for the good. May we suggest some better heroes? The people we have in mind will never receive front-page coverage in the newspapers or make the cover of magazines, yet they are heroes in the truest sense. They give generously of themselves to help others. Their actions are selfless. They do not seek anything in return. They simply aim to do good, to glorify God, and to help their brethren and fellow men. They are the faithful Christians found in every place. They carry their share of the load. They teach classes, work to reach lost sinners, live pure lives in a wicked world. They are elders, deacons, Bible class teachers, dedicated mothers and fathers, respectful teenagers. Simply put, they are Christians who are striving to live as God has commanded them. May God bless them all. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hello, this is Preston Jackson from Valdosta, Georgia, and you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at our website, collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And check out our upcoming gospel meeting. You can find the speakers and the time of our meeting Monday through Friday, Sunday, uh, Sunday and then Monday through Friday. Uh, at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, collegeview.com, and uh, send us an email. Questions at collegeview.com is the way you uh, get your uh, email to us, and we'd love to hear from you. Just maybe say hello. Uh, maybe send a suggestion. So maybe something you, something you heard in the news. That happens from time to time. Someone will see something in the news and say, hey, listen, you guys ought to talk about that. Uh, send it in, and uh, we can consider it for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We're talking about Noah's Ark tonight. We talked about the fact that, well, the ark was a size that would float and that it would hold all the animals it needed to hold it could get the job done. It wouldn't sink and it could hold the animals. But that is a huge, huge vessel to build. And you're talking about one guy building that okay, vessel? Okay, so that's one of the skeptical arguments against the story of Noah and the ark is that it's not reasonable to think that Noah could have even built such an amazing vessel. Just really impossible for Noah or maybe Noah and his three sons for four guys, if he had the help of his sons, for four guys to build that is just, it's just unreasonable to even think it is close to possible. Question. On what basis would you argue that Noah was not allowed to hire help? Hmm. In other, words, you know, in other words, to say, well, Noah couldn't do it himself, even if he had his three boys helping him. Four men couldn't do it. Who said? The Bible doesn't say that Noah was precluded from hiring workers. Yeah, and people work on projects they think are, are outlandish now. I mean, they don't, agree, they don't agree with them, but they work on them. So, I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, these guys probably go, they could have been going home. They, you won't believe this Noah guy, what he's paying me to do. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's lost his marbles. But, well, I'm, I'm taking the money. Yeah, that's right. I'm building all day long <laughs> yeah. on what he's paying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so here, but here's, here, uh, let's back up. Let's say that there were just four men, Noah, Him, Sham, and Japheth, working on the ark. Uh, there's something interesting in Genesis 6, verse 3, when the wickedness of the world come, becomes so bad. Notice in Genesis 6, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a 120 years. So 
the way I understand that, and I think most others do, is that God said, okay, now I've made up my mind. I'm going to send a judgment on the, on the world, but I'm going to do it 120 years from now. Why would he, if that is in fact a proper understanding of that statement, why would he wait 120 years? Well, I think two things. One of them is it very well could have taken Noah that long to build that ark. It was enormous, and he would not have the advantage of modern equipment like we would have to employ. It was a huge, major, incredible job. And so I think one of the reasons why uh, that it would have, the, the judgment was stated as coming, but stated that it would come in 120 years, give Noah time to build the ark. He had 120 years. 120 years to build the ark. Now, get this. Here's a little more math for you. It's estimated the ark contained 380,000 cubic feet of wood. Okay. If they could cut, gather, hew, and construct 15 cubic feet per day, not an unreasonable amount, then they could have completed the job in just 81 years, working six days per week while observing a Sabbath or a rest day. If they did at that time. If they did at that time. We don't even know the Sabbath really wasn't instructed until uh, God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. But again, if there were just four, they could have done it. It would have been a big job. It would have taken 80-plus years to do it, but they could have done it. They had some time for vacation in there. Yeah. And, you know, it it also, it, to give further, further credence to this idea that it, there was 120 years from the time God pronounced the judgment to uh, when it came, First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 20, uh, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few souls, that is eight, uh, wherein few, that is eight souls were saved by water. So, it, it says here that the, that the, that the ark was being built while God was being patient. God it's, was, a, it's a it's a it's an illustration to us of how God deals with us today too. And add to that Second Peter two verse five: God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Noah wasn't just building the ark; he was preaching, and God was waiting. And clearly, intention was maybe some others will repent. Mm-hmm. So it took Noah most of that time to build the ark. He could have done it in that amount of time. And in the meanwhile, he was preaching God's warning. And God was in his long, in his typical long-suffering, patient nature, God was waiting for men to repent. Right. Okay. So he had time. And, well, the math, this is a pretty math-heavy program here, but the math says he would have had enough time to build the ark. Uh, Chris in the UK says, though the Bible does not tell us how long Noah built it, he may have had 80 years to do so. The sons were 90 to 100 years old when the flood occurred. Uh, so uh, he says, yeah, he would have had a long time. He could have built it. Um, Kent says, Noah built the this enormous vessel by following the instructions God gave him. Noah did not dream up or draw up the plans for the ark. He followed the instructions of God. Obviously, humanity was capable at this point of hi- in history of building various types of structures. All Noah had to accomplish was to follow the pattern. God had already formulated the plans for him. So, you know, that's that's what would have been a time savings. Uh, he didn't have to go to the drawing board. But, you know, along with those along those lines, we don't have it recorded, but God certainly could have given him the building techniques to be most efficient. Yeah, he could have revealed that to him. Gopherwood in and of itself may have been the you know the, the wood of choice for that efficiency. We, we don't, don't even know what it we, was, we but know. we know that no one knew what there it was. There may have been an abundance of it. Yeah. It may have been perfect for working. It may have yeah. split right down the middle like, yeah. you know, you know yeah. been easy to work with. Who knows? Uh, Daniel says uh, the question, this question is uh, much, this is, this question is much discussed. How did Noah carry out this command of God? We do not know his methods, just that they fit the pattern of the command, Genesis 6:22. Other than we uh, do not know for certain whether or not he hired help, used power tools, or trained animals, we don't know. He had 120 years. He may have tried many things. Yeah. Uh, you know, what? what's an amazing statement about it all, though, is in Genesis 6, the last verse of the chapter says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God had commanded him, so did he. He was a man of faith, man of strict obedience to the will of God. Um, yeah, guest 7493 says the story of Noah building the ark is a good lesson in generic versus specific Bible authority. The dimensions are specific. The instructions to build are generic. Yeah. 
exactly right. At least is how they recorded for us. They are. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good observation. Okay. All right. So first three questions down. Question number four. How could Noah collect all those animals and care for them in the ark? Jacob, we go hunting once in a while, and a lot of times we'll hunt. We'll hunt a whole day and not even see or be able to harvest the animal that we're seeking. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, Noah's got a lot of hunting to do. How's he going to get all that up? Could you imagine getting up a hippopotamus? How are you going to get that hippopotamus to come with you? You ever tried herding cats? Oh, yeah. What about just the cats? What about the big cats? Yeah. The lions and the tigers. Yeah. Uh, and what? And I think there were dinosaurs on there. We have never. I don't know if we've ever talked about dinosaurs on the first Bible study, but I think all the indication is there were certainly dinosaurs living in the time that men were living on the earth. And as such, Noah would have needed to get a preserving element of dinosaurs on the ark. I think the dinosaurs became extinct after the flood because of earth changes. We're going to talk about those earth changes here in a minute. How could he possibly have hunted those, all those animals up? Well, there, uh, a couple of things. One is God could have used the animal's own instincts, natural instincts. Uh, you know, animals sense danger. Mm-hmm. And that's usually documented whenever there's a big forest fire someplace. They document the change in animal behavior that takes place. They don't act the same. Plus, remember that the the fear of man was not put into animals until after the flood. Uh, In Genesis 9, verse 2, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, and upon all fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing shall be meat for you. I don't think men were eating animal meat before the flood. Certainly the fear of man was not in animals until after the flood. That would have helped. Uh, but don't forget that we're still dealing with a miraculous God. And there's an interesting statement here. Uh, in Genesis chapter 7, it says, Every beast after his kind, All uh, this is verse 14, Every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird after his sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh were in the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God, uh, as God had commanded him as the Lord and the Lord shut him in. Uh, also earlier in the chapter, uh, it says basically the same thing. Verse 9, there went in two and two into the ark, into Noah, into the ark, the male and female. It, it, you almost get the idea that they're being directed there by God. Noah didn't have to go out on extended hunting safaris in order to get the animals. They, I think they, the indication is they came to him. There may have been some natural element that would have caused that to happen, but certainly it could have been God's hand in it, too. All right. Obviously, God called the animals into the ark, Genesis 7, verse 9, Kent says. Um, Daniel says, uh, Genesis six twenty through 21, at least some would have come to him, and Noah was to take all food that is eaten. So uh, he said that they would come in. Um, and then Chris says, the biblical account says God brought the animals in. Yeah. So. Uh, now, how are you going to care for them? I mean, you've got that many animals. We're real quick, because before our break, let's, let's, let's try to catch this question. So what about collecting? What about caring for them? You know, by the way, we got lions over here, and we got antelopes over here, and the lions are going to try to eat the antelopes. That's what, an, that's what lions do. They eat antelopes. Well, again, as we said, in... in Danger provokes changes in animal behavior. And there, and even when there's been like forest fires and stuff, there's been evidence of unnatural compatibility evidenced in, in between animals. They weren't going anywhere. They weren't doing anything. They were just there. So they would, they would have not needed as much food as they might have typically consumed. I think it's very possible that some of them might have hibernated or gone into a sort of hibernative state during the time. Noah and uh, is going to be on the ark for over a year. When yeah. you read the account, by the time all is said and done, he's on the ark for over a year. 
But uh, so there there would have been a need for foodstuffs. But I think we could say that uh, the provision for the food would have been accommodated, especially by virtue of the fact that it was dark in there. It, there there wasn't a whole lot of light. And everything might have contributed to sort of a hibernative kind of condition for many of the animals. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope that. I mean, I'm sure Noah's daughters-in-law wonder what they got into cleaning out those stalls. You know, that was <laughs> But again, maybe that, that would also explain maybe why there wouldn't have been such a yeah. mess to clean up yeah. from the animals. Okay, we'll get a break, and when we get back. Uh, Big well, question. I think this a major my, question. Major question. Is the one we want to deal with when we get back. Where did the floodwaters come from and where'd they all go? We're going to get that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Our last break, we'll go to the top of the hour right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, and Bible class teachers and all church members had strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you can always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible. And we're still doing the same things you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See it for yourself. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. About half of Americans, 53%, have read relatively little of the Bible. One out of ten has read none of it at all, while 13% have read a few sentences. 30% say they have read several passages or stories. That information is via LifeWay Research. The Word of God says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back, going to the top of the hour. Now, the big question here, so the, so we think, you know, it makes sense. Now, again, you're discounting any miraculous here, and there certainly could have been miraculous. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Actually, almost everything we're talking about is reasonable from a natural perspective, and then when you add in the, the miraculous God, it's all very feasible. Yeah. I mean, anything's feasible to a miraculous God. Right, right. But this You're is... just showing naturalistic. It's not, you know, even if you want to discount any miraculous intervention, yeah. this, this is stuff is feasible. Yeah. Now, you've got this other issue, though, water, and okay. lots of it. Where did the water come from? Okay, let's, let's read Genesis 7, beginning verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I, I think every kid knows the 40 days and 40 nights. You know, Jacob, we do a little children's Bible drill class, and if you ask the kids, how long did it rain and Noah's flood? They yeah, would that. say they 40, 40 days, 40 nights. I would tell you. It could not rain enough in 40 days and 40 nights to cover all the earth with water because it says in, uh, let's, let's see over here in chapter 7, uh, verse 19, the waters prevailed exceeding upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heavens were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. How tall Mount Everest? Hmm. 27,000 feet over 20. Mount Everest is over 27,000 feet tall. This says that everything was covered by at least 15 cubits. 15 cubits over 20 feet. The highest hills were covered where the water was the shallowest. It was over 20 feet deep. Where did all that? It can't rain that much. I'm here to tell you it cannot. Are you sure? There's places in the world where it rains for 40 days. I mean, when you talk about the monsoons in the Far East, it'll rain for 40 days, almost nonstop, straight for 40 days. In our uh, American Pacific Northwest, it, there's, every day. <laughs> there's periods of time out there where it rains almost every day for 40 days. In a row. It can't rain enough to cover all the earth with water. Okay. But here's the key. There's two other sources mentioned. The rain was significant, and we're not doubting that. But notice seven eleven again, Genesis 7, verse 11. The fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. There's two sources of water that are mentioned there. Fountains of the great deep. That suggests violent geological activity 
and the bringing up of huge quantities of water from subterranean sources. There were there were underground reservoirs of water that were burst and expelled. Volcanoes, uh, um, major eruptions, uh, all kinds of twisting and colliding and crashing of tectonic plates and everything else. And so great, great underground subterranean reservoirs of water were burst and expelled out. And then the, the fountains of the great, or excuse me, the, the windows of heaven were open. That's interesting. Back in Genesis 1, it says that God said, in verse, uh, this is Genesis 1, verse 6, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the water which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Well, the firmament is our atmosphere. The water under the firmament, we understand that that's the surface water on planet Earth. What's the water above the firmament? There's not any water above our firmament now. There was then. And so the way that that is understood and I think makes great sense is that prior to the flood, there was like a water vapor canopy that enveloped the earth. Uh, Lots of water, an envelope of water, if you will, that enveloped the earth, uh, which would have caused a kind of natural greenhouse effect on planet earth planet would have been tropical from pole to pole. There wouldn't have been any extreme, frigid, arctic areas, and not before the flood. There are now, because we don't have the greenhouse effect. We don't have the, the water vapor canopy. God caused that canopy to collapse. Now, as verification that that kind of system existed, in chapter 2, verse 5 of Genesis, it says, Every plant of the field before was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew... For the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. How did water? That's not how it happens today. There was a different natural system in place prior to the flood. It hadn't rained. I think that's interesting. And in, in Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, Noah was warned of God of things not seen as yet. What was that? Well, it could have been the flood. The flood. That's there pretty never, obvious. There's never been a flood like that yeah, before. There never will be again. But it could have also been the rain. Maybe he never saw it rain. I think there's an indication that it had not rained from creation until the days of Noah. Another little interesting bit of confirmation. Why was there no rainbow until after oh, the flood? That's a natural phenomenon. That's a natural phenomenon. Now, God could have changed nature yeah. to make it so that the rainbow would appear. But if he didn't. The rainbow now appears because that water vapor canopy is gone, and it rains. Yeah. And it had not rained before. Yeah. Uh, so you got the, the fountains of the great deep broken up and the water bursting forth. The, this huge quantity of water that was in this water, caper, water vapor canopy or envelope collapses and comes down. There's your water. Now, it's more than just rain, but there's your water. Now, there's geological phenomenon at work here. Mount Everest may not have been Mount Everest exactly. when the flood came. So, so that, that expression, the fountains of the great deep were broken up, that suggests violent geological activity that's taking place in this time frame. And so I believe that that would suggest that the mountain ranges were shoved up. The deep ocean caverns were carved out. You know, there's places where the ocean's are miles and miles deep. I think there's places in, like in the oh Mariana Trench. I think the ocean is over seven miles deep there. Yeah. Uh, Mount Everest on its head. More. More than it that. is yeah. deeper. That that Mariana Trench is deeper than Mount Everest is high. Yeah. So the question is, where did all the water go to? Well, it's still here. It's still here. It didn't go anywhere. It didn't. It didn't just go off into space somewhere. It's still here. But the, the 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 visible appearance of Earth after the flood is way different than the Earth looked before the flood. Uh, and so that's how the water could have covered everything. But then as the mountains began to be shoved up and the ocean trenches being dug out, they, now there was high ground. And, and so there was a natural runoff place for the water to go. 
one of the problems that so-called scientists make when they're analyzing conditions on planet Earth is that they assume that things have always been as they presently are. It's called the theory of uniformitarianism, Mm -hmm. that it's always been the same. Natural processes have always been the same. This was different. This was catastrophic at a degree that we can't even begin to comprehend. You just came back from the Grand Canyon. How'd that Grand Canyon get there? It screams. You look at the you look at the formations. It screams of lots of water all at once. Massive erosion. You got. I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and there are these big rock towers, hoodoos. Yeah. That obviously some there was ground around them, and it's gone. It now. all washed away. And where's the these... river? There's no rivers around there. Yeah. Where'd it come from? Yeah. And the Grand Canyon itself, geologically, they tell us that the 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 structure of North America is that there would have been a big big ocean of water held in the upper Midwest, in the upper plains, and it, it broke through. The Colorado River broke through in northern Arizona at the Grand Canyon. It was like a dam break. You know, and even these days when we hear about a dam breaking, just one small lake can do a, an incredible amount of erosion when a dam breaks. That's what happened. That that Colorado River broke through that, that natural, what was holding back that great reservoir of water in the upper plains. It broke through in northern Arizona, and it caused that Grand Canyon fast. All right. Um, Yeah, um, let's get our listeners' questions. Uh, The waters of the Great Flood came from various sources, Kent says. The water vapor that existed above the firmament of the earth, Psalm 148, verse 4. The waters below the firmament known as the Great Deep, Genesis 1:10 to 10 through 14. These emerged through controlled fountains or springs, evidently from deep sealed sources below the crust of the earth. Such is proven to exist in volcanic eruptions from the tremendous amount of rain uh, fall, Romans, uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11. So water vapor, uh, fountains of the deep, tremendous amount of rain. He says in correlation to of topography with biblical evidence, such appears that when the crust of the earth began to move, the previous land surfaces formed new ocean basins as well as new continents, all new land surfaced, um, emerged vast uh, as a new land surface emerged vast interior continental lakes and rivers formed creating great canyons rapidly uh river rivers worldwide indicate that they once carried much greater quantities of water than they do at the present exactly right there's great evidence great geological evidence that the flood occurred uh, Chris says uh, the water from the deep could have become the cloud structures. That's some of it, but it wouldn't be enough. But that would be some Certainly of it. And, and, and the polar ice caps would have been some of it, too, but not enough. Not enough. Uh, Daniel says Second Peter 3, 5, and 6, Genesis 1, and 9, verse 9, the dry land came up out of the water. In the beginning, uh, it stands to reason that Almighty could put it back under. Genesis 8, 1 through 2, God caused a flood, and he caused it to end. The amount of water needed for such a flood is not a big issue when the power of God is considered Luke 9. 16 through 19. I believe that's true. Thank you uh, for that, uh, Daniel. Uh, All right. Good comments from our listeners tonight. A good discussion. You know, this is uh, an area where people want to you know, throw stones and try. And, the devil just wants to cast a little doubt. It doesn't take a lot, just yeah. a little to yeah. start eroding. If, 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 you could, if I could just get kids to believe that the flood is is a fairy tale. Well, that's not then, even, then maybe I've got a little thing I can work on as they grow older. Just a seed of doubt. Just a little doubt. We don't yeah. have to. I mean, they don't have to throw it away right now. Just put that in their mind. It'll <laughs> nag them for about yeah. fifteen years, yeah. and then maybe when they get to college, we can yeah. throw it out. Yeah, yeah. So we got to be grounded on the, what the Bible says, and it's a lesson for us to take the Bible as for what it is. Don't don't start to doubt it. Don't start to reason it out. And well, it doesn't make sense to me, so I'm not going to believe that. Believe the Bible is from God and take it on faith that that's what it what it is. Exactly right. Kyle, thoughts from you tonight? Uh, it's it's a great study. It's something uh, we've uh, talked extensively about in our Bible studies at uh, College View here. So it's just uh, our faith should be grounded, safe, and secure that uh, Christ referenced uh, Noah and his ark. So we should be have faith that it. it it was existed and it so was right. real. Christians, if you believe in Jesus, you've got to believe in the flood because if you don't, then you've got Jesus you telling got him a fairy tale. That's right. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks, Dad, for being here. Remember our gospel meeting here Ooh, starts yeah. Sunday, all next week. If you're within a driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, please come and join us. Look on our website, collegeview.com, for info. Tell Rodney about Thursday night, too. I, I will. We'll try to have Rodney Hampton with us next Thursday night on the Virgin Bible right. Study. Thanks for being here tonight, and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.
Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.